start of the two-part series. We're calling it Uncluttered. You, you could tagline it, Adjusting Our Lifestyle to Live a Kingdom Life. Adjusting Our Lifestyle to Live a Kingdom Life. So we're going to go uh, to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 to 34 and read this and, and break this down. Jesus said first, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, don't, don't prize them. The things that you possess, <clears throat> the money you possess, the status that you possess, maybe the fame you possess, the beauty you possess, uh, the, the, the health you possess. We got all these things that we do in life, the vacations, the travel, the timeshare, the condo, the cabin, I got a cabin, the boat, anything else. Don't, don't prize them. Don't prize them. He goes on, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. How many people know that you are not in control of the fate of your things? You may possess them, but you're not in control of their fate. You could be wealthy today, and you could be flat broke tomorrow. And I've watched people who are millionaires almost get to the place of homelessness, and I've seen them go from riches to rags, and I've watched them go from rags to riches. You're not in control of the fate of your things. I know you got your plans. We all got our, maybe our investment plans. We got our property investments. We got these things we're saving for. We got our gold coins. We, but you're not in fate. You're not in control of the fate of those things. The safest place for you to be financially in your life is to be smack in the middle of a thing called the will of God. That was, that's really, my barometer test for anybody who wanted my daughters in marriage wasn't that they would have money at all. In fact, one of my son-in-laws was unemployed when, uh, when he, about a, two weeks before he married my daughter, and, but yet he's prospering because I knew he was committed. I know all my son-in-laws were committed to a thing called the will of God. Now, as long as they were committed to the will of God, I knew that my daughters would be in a safe place. That is the barometer. That's the all-encompassing test of, of, of the blessing of the Lord on your life. He goes on to say, but lay, lay uh, up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. And he makes this where moth and nor rust can destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. How many people know that that thieves and life here cannot take away your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, they can't take that away. They can't take away the will of God. And Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to notice something here. Hearts follow treasure. Now, there's a reason why I say that, because that means that treasures have a potential to draw us away. Well, does that mean I destroy it? No, you just got to recognize its potential. Then he goes in, the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So my eye, my eye determines the character that I'm to become. My eye determines the type of life I'm going to live. My eye determines the person that I'm going to be. My eye. We'll get into that. And then he goes on to say this. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. 
No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. There's no room in my heart for partial commitment. There's no room in it. It doesn't exist. You're going to be loyal to one thing, or you're going to be loyal to another. I can't just add Jesus to my lifestyle. You can't be just that other thing I put on my resume called my lifestyle. I can't serve things and him. It's impossible. It's impossible. And of course, Jesus goes on to say, you cannot serve God and money. The issue of these particular verses we covered last week, we can apply them to hobbies and toys and interests and activities, and it's a great application. But the, the crux of what he's saying here is don't amass up for yourself a bunch of treasures on earth materially. It's possessions, it's money in the context. One of the reasons is because the culture of that day looked at hoarding as a sign of the favor of God. And Jesus was confronting this. The Pharisees, the, the religious sect that people looked to, they saw financial blessing as a, as a sign of God's favor on their life. And it can be, but it's not always. And those who didn't have money is those who were cursed by God. Well, curse comes without a, does not come without a cause, but how many people know that there's a lot of people because of circumstances that are impoverished, not because of the choices that they make, but because of circumstances that they find themselves in. The scripture goes both ways on that. It goes both ways. And so he's confronting a material mindset that deals with this. He goes on here to say, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's kind of interesting here. Let's talk about a thing called anxiety. Anxiety is the number one common mental disorder or mental illness disorder in the United States of America. There are 40 million Americans who suffer from anxiety disorder. 40 million. This is a big, it's interesting that we live in the most, we live in a country that has the most powerful military in the world. We live in the, the strongest economy of the world. We live with the greatest natural resources in the world, and yet we suffer from a thing called anxiety. I think that's kind of interesting. Jesus said, I don't want you to suffer anxiety about things. He goes on to say, he goes, he goes on to say, <clears throat> look at the birds of the air, and they, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into to barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And then he goes on to say, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You know, it's kind of interesting. It's been a quest of man for a long time to look for the fountain of youth, and, and we kind of found it in the fitness program. We, we kind of found it, you know, I'm going to get to the club, I'm going I'm to do a keto diet, a paleo diet, I'm going to do a Mediterranean diet, I'm going to do, 
you know, something like Take Shape for Life. I'm going to do Jenny Craig. I'm going to do these things, and, and I'm going to walk every day, or I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do bar. I'm going to do CrossFit. I'm going to do all these things. P90X, bring it, because I'm just, I just, I just I'm in control of, of, of living a long, long, long time. Now, you know that I, I'm, I'm involved in physical fitness. I do CrossFit, but but, but the, the issue is this, is I always say that stewardship might get me to 70 to 75. But after that, it's the grace of God. Now, my goal in physical fitness is to be able to do three things. Get my clothes off and get my clothes on, that I can hang my clothes up and I can take them off a hanger and put them on. These are real hard, complex goals. Second is to be able to open a door and walk through it. And the third, this is very profound, I want to be able by myself to get off the toilet. <laughs> so, no. If I can get off the toilet, if I can dress myself, and if I can open the door and walk through it, I can stay out of a rest home. That simple. I have a covenant with my daughter here, if I lose my mind, Instead of being an embarrassment to the family, she's going to give me two weeks of food, take me up to the cabin, let me off in the Wind River area, and let the bears and the cougars get me, all right? <laughs> we're so worried about this thing. You're so, we're, oh, man, let's go. And, and, you know, and, and, and diet and exercise will probably give you about five more functional years, but here's the, here's the good news. You're on your way to heaven. You might as well settle it. And God's going to determine the day and the hour when that's going to take place. And yes, we're going to be stewards to live a full life for his will. But we've got to start settling that it's okay to cross the line into the next life. Now, I don't age real well. In other words, I don't emotionally, it's not good, you know. I just, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I don't think like I used to think. I, I walk into rooms and I think, why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing? I have to draw memory of people's names. I know people's names really well. And there's people I've known intimately for years, and I'll, I'll, their name will go blank with me. And I'll be in church, and I go, there's, there's. I know this name. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go through worship service. I'm going to get that name out of the file. It's in there someplace, and it'll pop up 10 minutes later. And all those over 50 say Amen. Uh, okay, just, you're dying, okay? Just face it. Why worry? Why get all uptight? Why get all uptight? I'm going to plan my funeral out. In fact, I'd like a little, I'd like some, like a little voice box in and come by my casket. And... How you doing? How's your prayer life? Don't I look good? <laughs> How can he add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Any, any culture should not be anxious about clothing. It's us. Now, the problem is we change fashions every two months, okay? Things change. There are parts of the world that are wearing the same thing they wore 2,000 years ago. I mean, I mean, the fashion changes. They went from white to gray, Okay. You know, the same fashion, just kind of go simply. 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, and how many people know that, that we have a father who absolutely loves us and he's absolutely faithful to us? This is one of the keys to understanding Jesus. He's not saying these things are not important, but he's saying that, that God's got it covered. I want you to focus on something else. He's, he's got it covered. He provides. Will he not much more clothe you? And this is a great compliment to us. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Because, see, this is what unbelievers do, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. I found them both can be materialistic. Not that you can't be poor and non-materialistic or rich and non-materialistic. You can't. But it is the capture of the whole unbelieving culture. They seek after all these things. This is what consumes them. They live and are consumed to worry and possess and gather and protect material things. Listen to people. It makes up their whole conversation. Jesus goes on here. He says, your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them all. Would you know that, would you agree with me that God knows everything you need? Yes. Everything. Needs them all, but seek first the kingdom of God. Life is about the will of God. And his righteousness, which I said last week, is a righteousness that exceeds, in Matthew 5.20, the righteous acts of the scribes and Pharisees and the way they approached God and the way they treated people. He says, I want your righteousness to go beyond that. And that's what we're to be seeking. In other words, how can I become a better person, a more loving person, a more holy person, a more pleasing person to God, a, more per a person who lives selflessly for other people? How can I do that? And all these things will be added to you. Come on, there's two puppy dogs, goodness and mercy. They just follow you all the days of your life. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. How many people know that life has trouble all the time? There's trouble in the past, there's trouble in the present. Guess what? There's trouble in the future. Let's worry about tomorrow's battles tomorrow. We've got enough battles to fight today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, let's, let's review here from last week. First, Jesus calls us to live a lean lifestyle without temporal distractions. And those temporal distractions can be money, can be possessions, it can be hobbies, toys, and trends, fame, okay, all these types of things. I may be popular one day and not popular the next. You know, in my profession as a pastor, one of the problems is that we're so consumer in the body of Christ, you could be a hot church one week and then you, the, the spirit moved the next. Okay? No one stays on top in America. Okay? So when, whoever's a popular pastor today, give them five years. They're not going to be a popular pastor in five years. Okay? We just might as well just be faithful to the call of God, what God's called us to, because fame doesn't last. Fame and popularity and maybe a position at work or in the church or in the community, okay? It, it, it's not lasting. These things can't affect us. Money can't affect us. Possessions can't. Our toys can't. Our hobbies can't. Our, our interests can't. 
They can't consume us. And one of the, one of the keys how to prevent us from these things to consume us and affect us is to limit them. Got awful quiet. Because if I limit it, it's not going to be there to be my tempter. That's what Jesus is saying. So every one of us, in our own interpretation, our own relationship with Jesus, we have to find where our line is. Where we say, this far and no more. With everything. We draw a line. Now that line is not determined by you against me or me against you. It's between you and God. But there is a line. Because if it's not a line, it's going to continue to consume me. Jesus warned us about this. The second thing is that the interpretation of that looks like an application is left to each individual followers. Make no apologies if you bought a brand new car. Do never apologize for me like, oh, well, pastor, you know, this was given to... Don't. Be blessed. Don't apologize for your house. Don't apologize that you bought a new outfit. Don't apologize for this. And the flip side is true. We're not going to be a bunch of minimalist moral judges running around pointing our fingers that, you know, you got too much. We're not, we're not, I'm not talking about this when we're applying this. There's no moral inspections here. The third thing is this. Other scriptures concerning God's provision and blessing must be considered when interpreting the words of Jesus on materialism. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes what? But it adds what? No sorrow to it. Now, those all the old timers remember. This was a great verse that many of us grew up with. We used to sing a song. Back, oh, want to hear an old school song? The blessing of the Lord makes rich, don't you know? Adds no sorrow to it. There's joy wherever you go. Remember that, Michael? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay, it adds no sorrow or anxiety with it. When God brings a blessing, it's not going to bring greed with it. It's not going to bring jealousy with it. It's not going to bring a, 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 a counterfeit God where I look at that more than the will of God. It's not going to bring worry that I have to stay up all night and how I keep what God has given to me. Okay? It, it adds no sorrow with it. No greed comes produced by it. It's just the blessing of the Lord. We talked about the ant. He gathers in the summertime so he can have provision. There's a thing called saving. It's a good concept to all the young couples here that you save money for future issues. Okay, we talked about the talents that Jesus gave that we're supposed to actually invest things to make more out of what he's given us. We talked about the cup he's given us. It's a cup that's not half full. It's a cup that runs what? Over. That's more than enough. And so we have to balance this with these types of uh, scriptures and the other parts of the Bible. The fourth thing is this, a lean lifestyle will bring freedom to us emotionally and spiritually. In other words, I'm free from a lot of worry. I'm free from the distraction and the clutter of things. I'm free from stress because I'm focused and I'm lean and I'm focused on what's going on. Now, to make that choice requires compromise. My dad was kind of a philosopher. And he had, he had I, I actually have about five or six of his one-line philosophies that actually carried with me my, my whole life. And one was this, that every decision requires compromise. Now, we think we want our cake and eat it too, but every decision you make 
requires something you're going to give up. So if I'm going to do this thing, I'm radically do this thing called the will of God, you are going to have to give up being overly concerned about things. Things that are material, things that are passing away, things like popularity, maybe things like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look like 20 years old when I'm 80 years old. No, you will not. That's not going to happen. You can, you know, get all sorts of Botox things and have your eyes ripped back to your back of your head. The things are, your, gravity is going to pull on you. Fat is going to increase. All right. It just is. Just is. It's accepted. Money and these things can't grab. If I'm going to make a choice for the will of God, I'm going to have to make a choice of what's not important. There's going to be a compromise in this. I can't have it all. Rick Seward, it was a friend of mine, he was actually killed this last March in Brazil. Rick pastored in Singapore, grew up in Singapore as Assembly of God, a missionary kid, and uh, planted a great church called Faith Victory Center, Family Victory Center in Singapore. Now, Singapore is... is uh, is really, really interesting. It's about 15 miles wide, 25 miles long. It's a city-state. There's zero unemployment. Everybody drives a Beamer or a Mercedes. It's just, it's just affluent wealth like you've never seen it. You don't go shopping there. Like, I'm going overseas, I'm going shopping. No, you don't. You can't afford, you know, a latte. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's wealthy. But in his church, to become a member of his church, Everyone had to commit to spending one year on the mission field. And so they would give up their bank jobs and their investment jobs, and they would give up their Beamers and their Mercedes, and they'd go out in the field. If you were the head of the team, it was three years. He planted more churches internationally than any single person in the world, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. His church gave $12 million a year for the gospel internationally. I mean, but radically... So what happened is they're, in their focus, these things didn't grab them. They were free from the anxiety of the, of the materialism around them, but they used it as a tool to move the kingdom of God forward. He was free. He died like he lived. He died, he was helping his church plants in Brazil, he was killed in a car accident, and he, and he wanted, he was, I want to go out in glory. He was just unhindered and unattached by this world. We need to become free. A lean lifestyle will free me from that. What is your car? It's just a car. It's your clothes. It's just clothes. Well, I didn't want to eat that. Well, we got some food. That's what we get to eat. Remember when I was a youth pastor training teams to go, you know, when I took teams all around the world, teenage teams, I had Saturday training for, for 12 weeks before I ever took them out on the field. And one of the things that I, I did with them is they didn't realize what was going to happen. It was lunchtime. I worked them really hard all morning. It's time to, it's time to eat. And Johnny, we give thanks. And he gives thanks. And I bring out the food. And they all got cold corn tortillas. That's all they got. And I sit there and eat these dry corn tortillas with water. Isn't this good? This is so good. John, would you stand up and thank God for these cold tortillas right now? And uh, I was building an attitude that this thing's not about these things. It's about the missions, about the will of God. And you know what? Those kids did incredible on, on foreign soil. They were like Marines. And they touched and shook places because they had a focused attitude that what's important is not these things. I'm free from these things. Fifth thing we talked about is the extra time and, 
you know, and the, and the resources available to live a lean lifestyle is not to be used for personal enrichment. Because if you lean your lifestyle up, I'm going to tell you two things are going to take place. Your wealth will increase and your, your energy will increase because you'll have more time and focus and you'll have more resources. So, man, what do I do with that? Well, that's exactly what you do. Not to be used for personal enrichment, but to advance the gospel and to meet the needs of legitimate poor. Let me just talk about this. We live, let's talk about Clark County. I know I talk a lot about the poor in our area because I, I want to create a sensitive nerve to everybody here about what's around us in this city. I appreciate yesterday. I was right next to Burgerville on 99th Street yesterday, and there was these signs that the city puts up that says, your city cares and called this number. It was a crisis line. I, I appreciated that. But I'm thinking, where's the church? Where's the signs of the church? You in crisis, the church cares. The church cares. This is something we want to do. You know, we're all rejoicing homeowners here that our equity's gone up about 40%. You've all got great investment properties. We can cash them out, go to Yuma, Arizona, and, you know, hang out with the lizards in some trailer and live comfortably ever after. But we're all, we're all, all stoked that we are, our equity's increased. But do you know that the raising of your equity is also driving the working poor into the streets because they can't afford the raising rents. So our blessing on the flip side is to, is really causing a stress upon the working poor. They're becoming homeless. Now I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but to say the church has an opportunity. But we got to recognize it's not just the blessing of the Lord makes rich. I'm a king's kid. We got suffering all around. In every economy, someone wins and someone loses. Every economy. Sometimes it's the homeowner. Sometimes it's the renter. But right now it's the renter. Right now it's the working poor. So let's have an opportunity to what my lifestyle and the church and its mission, what we can do. We have a, we have a gospel to advance. We have people to touch. Come on, we can do this. Now, Let's talk about our eye. How healthy is our eye? Matthew chapter 6, as we read it before, verse 22. just want to read it to you again. Jesus said this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If then your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of life. Now the context here that Jesus is talking about is focus. What am I focusing on? Am I focusing on Jesus or am I focusing on things? That's the great question. What is your focus? My focus determines the person I'm going to become. My focus determines my character. So my eye is healthy if it's affected by light. So what is this thing called, Jesus called, if the eye is healthy? It's an eye that sees life from God's perspective. If I see life from God's perspective, I will be then living a life that reflects his righteousness. So a healthy life is full of truth. But what about a light that can't be affected by light, like a blind eye? What if my eye spiritually is bad? Well, there's no revelation of truth. I don't see, I don't see light from God's perspective. Well, then what happens to me? I'm going to live a life full of deception. And how many people who name Christ actually have bad eyes? 
that they don't see life from God's perspective. They see it from their own. And they're living a life claiming the name of Christ, but living a life walking in deception. You say, well, Bob, that's kind of a tough word. It is, but Jesus said it, so I got to say it. We can't water down the words of Jesus. Then let's talk about the illusion of mixture. See, what it is, it, Jesus gave us this. It's either or. It's not both. He says, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one or despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. I've said this many times. What would I say to, what would you say to me about what type of person I am if I said to Sue, honey, I'm going to be faithful to you 30 out of 52 weeks a year? You would say you're pretty sick. But what do we say to Jesus? I have you and I have this. Now, Jesus said we, it, it's not that we can't have this, but if I think I can have a divided heart between what, it, what I'm attached more to, I've deceived myself. My eye is bad. One of these will win. In other words, I've got to be so radically over here that my heart's not attached to it even though I'm involved in it. But my heart is not attached to it. I, I would even use that as a part of my mission. So the question is to all of us, how much is enough? We've got to decide this. How much money is enough? How many possessions is enough? I talked to you about our two Victrolas that we have. That we're just so excited about. How, how, when's our interests outside of the kingdom of God, what is enough? Am I saying we're not to have interests? No, I actually hope that you all have some interests so you can intermix with the community. But how many interests can you have? How many activities can I have? And we've got we to make a decision how much is enough for the kingdom of God. You see, the key to this thing, here's the key to the teachings of Jesus. It's total abandonment into the arms of the Father. Now I said at the very beginning last week is that there's two things about the Sermon on the Mount that we need to understand. One, it's about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Your Father who sees your acts of righteousness will reward you. The Father who sees your fasting will reward you. Your Father who sees your prayers will answer them. You say, you pray after this manner, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's about your father. It's about your relationship. Those who do the will of my father in, in chapter 7, Jesus said, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's all about our relationship with the father. And so can I abandon myself to him, trusting him with everything else? And so in the context of that, I need to first understand this, that life is not about our natural needs. That's not what life is about. If I want to be free from anxiety, and I want to be radically committed to Jesus, life cannot be about my natural needs. Jesus said it this way, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, and he said this, isn't life more than food? It's not even about eating. That's why you fast. You fast because you're making a declaration that my life, I know this is hard because I, I love to eat. As you will tell today at the picnic, I will raid your box. I'm coming with my spoon. I'm getting a big one out of the kitchen, one of those big soup spoons. 
sampling everybody's stuff. But life is more than food. We stop eating and understand what life is truly all about. The second thing we need to understand to abandon ourselves, the worry is a control issue versus a trust issue. I know that control. Yeah, you are. Do not be anxious, Jesus said, about what you eat or drink or wear in clothing or how long you're going to live. Why? Because the second, the third thing is also true. Our natural needs are God's responsibilities. Your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. You, you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So the question is, is God in control of my life? Or am I in control of my life? Who's in control? I have to, God deals with me all the time in this. I remember when we started City Harvest Church, I gave up my career. I finally started making some good pay. I, I kind of rose to executive status in my former church, a pretty huge church, and it's like third in command of the whole church, and, and decided to give it all up to start a church and give up my salary. We had just built a house, and so was there any money to even pay the mortgage? And and I, I couldn't charge a salary from the church. I did a part-time salary, but I was bivocational the first year in the, in the church. And Pastor Frank DiMazio made some commitment on financial contributions to us to help sustain us until we got the church running. So it was working. And then one day he sent me a letter and said, we have to cut what we committed to you down. It was like a down a quarter. And of course, you know, that's not good because my struggling little church here is just making it. We got to invest money into what we're trying to do to get the church going. So I was dealing with control issues. Am I in control of my stuff or is God in control of my stuff? And I, I did a, a, a ministry, a three-night ministry in a little church in Quincy, Washington. I did a Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night meeting. And, and while I'm Doing these meetings, when I'm in my hotel room, I'm on my knees on my bedside. God's dealing with me of where my trust is. It's my trust in City Bible. It's my trust in my mentor and, and, and big brother in the faith, Frank DiMazio. My trust in City Harvest Church. Or is my trust in him? And I, I had to repent. I was having a three-day repentance thing. But I'm not trusting you. I'm, I'm in control of this thing. So I get done preaching on it last night, and as a custom, they gave me an, an honorarium. Of course, I'm thinking, nice people, they probably helped me out and gave me a few hundred bucks and just being nice and gracious people. And driving down the road, I popped open the check. They gave me the largest, up to that time, the largest honorarium I had ever received in ministry, 80 people. I was just blown away. And... Uh, I was just taken back. About three months later, I, 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 I talked with the pastor. I said, you know, I, I always wanted to thank you for your incredible graciousness and what you gave me. He goes, well, there's a story behind that. We weren't going to give you that much money. <laughs> but what happened, the last night, we were taking an offering, and there was a man in the crowd who had a big wad of cash, who, by the way, made up two-thirds of this honorarium. And that wad of cash was to pay for a last payment he was going to make on a truck he bought from a private party. And the Lord spoke to him, give it all to Bob. Except, no, he gave half of it. Give half of it to Bob, you keep the other half. And so he gave half of that big wad of money, and that made up two-thirds of that honorarium. The next day, that man went to see the guy that he was buying the truck from because, listen, I only have this. I don't have the full payment. The guy says, you know what? Just give me that. We're calling it a deal. Truck is yours. 
So God's dealing with his servant who's got control issues and lack of trust issues. God's dealing with the brother that you can trust me with your money. If I tell you to give, give it. He grows up, I grow up, the kingdom moves forward, and we haven't starved yet. We come, we, who's in control of our life? What do we trust in? We need to understand also God's track record has proven his faithfulness. Come on. Look at the birds of the air. Now, have you ever seen birds stockpile? That's a bird barn. The birds built that barn. They just kind of stockpile, you know. It just seems like God's got enough scraps around the universe and, and the world to feed every bird that's flying around. I don't know where they get fed. They get fed. They keep flying. They keep crashing into my windows, pooping all over my deck. They're around. <laughs> he goes on to say, he says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, how many people know, as Jesus said it, you're more important than a bird? Now, I know in our day, we kind of get in the pet thing, getting really kind of weird, but I even heard people get time off now for their pets. You know, if their pets are going through something, they have paid time off, like maternity leave. I was in Palm Springs last spring, and I saw this person, this older lady, pushing up a baby cart, and I'm thinking, man, that's a great-grandmother pushing her baby, and I walked by, and she was pushing her poodle, you know, in a baby carriage. <laughs> Listen, I love, I, I really do love pets. I, I do love, I, I, I want pets. But I love pets so much, if you treat them like they were created, they're going to live healthier. I'm thinking, that dog needs to get out and walk, okay? That's abuse. That's abuse. It's like my wife, you know, she carries heavy things. I, wanna, I used to want to lift them off of her, but I say, no, that's good for her. Stronger muscles, it prevents osteoporosis. This is good. Keep it up, Sue! Keep it up! I, I do the heavy lifting. So. But it's fun to watch her carry the buckets and stuff. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Come on, guys, God's involved in your fashion. You think if I trust God, he's going to put me in polyester. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be wearing bell-bottoms from 1968. I'll be dressed. People ask me, where's the costume party? Now, okay, God, you trust God that he, he knows what you need. Even if you need super nice clothes to go do something, God knows what you need. He did a great job of beautifying nature, has he not? He's got a great track record. The fifth thing is this. Worry is a sign of little faith. Are you not more valuable than these, he says? Will, you not much more, will he not much more clothe you? Here's the compliment. Oh, you of little faith. You see, fear, anxiety, worry are all faith issues. We have an anxiety disorder in our culture because we have a faith disorder in our culture. 1983, my wife and I, I gave up my job and I emptied my teacher's pension to pay for Bible college because I felt that God wanted me to go from being a teacher 
to being a pastor, and it was time for me to get trained. We had our first child, Julia. I had a part-time job teaching at a Christian school. Those who've been in Christian education know they don't pay real high salaries there. I had a nine-month contract. We had spent every dime to our name. It was May. My job was going to end in four weeks with no promise of any more work, and I did not qualify for unemployment. And folks, it was 1983. There was no jobs to be found in this area. The people whose house we were house-setting, we wanted their house back. So in three weeks, I was going to be homeless, without a penny to my name, and without a job, and I was going to put Sue into the streets. We had sold all. I did well. I aced all my classes at Bible college. Everything else was working great, but there was just no money. And I couldn't sleep. It was about 2, 3 in the morning, and I got on my knees, and, and I had Matthew 6 open as I'm praying about 3 in the morning. And I read the very verses I'm preaching to you now. And something hit me, and I've never been the same again. I said, I either believe this is absolute reality and absolute truth, or I have no business preparing for what I'm preparing for. I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. I'm full of unbelief. I preach something I don't believe. I repented. I asked God to forgive me. I said, Bob, you have to repent a lot. I have to repent a lot. <laughs> I went to bed that night, woke up with perfect peace. Any money come in? No, we were broke. But I knew that I knew that God was going to land the plane. And somehow, I don't even remember the details. We ended up in a you know, a duplex, triplex about a month later and got moving forward. A job opened up for me and somehow he lands the plane and he takes care of us because our Father knows our needs. Worry is a sign of little faith. And then, of course, we need to understand that unbelievers, they, they pursue a life of things. That's what they do. Gentiles, Jesus said, seek after these things. They spend their life getting things they spend their life preserving things. They spend their life talking about things. They spend their life getting angry about things. They spend their life getting jealous about things. Come on, you've had it happen just like me. Someone pulls in a brand new car and you, somebody just donated you a 1975, you know, Fairlane 500 with 800,000 miles on it. <laughs> Ripped upholstery. Someone comes in, hey, see my new car? I praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> no, but when they don't own me, when they don't own me, Jesus has me. Our car, when I was in Bible college, was a 73 Datsun 510. The two doors on the passenger side, I held together with a coat hanger. So you used to have to hold Julia. She climbed over my bucket seat, climbed over the stick shift, and landed in there. It was so small, the students used to kidnap my car. They hauled it away physically. <laughs> Sounded like a go-kart going down the road. <laughs> but you know what? God is no debtor to men. God's not going to be a debtor to you. God's not going to shame himself. He's going to glorify himself. But what we do now, our passion and our pursuit is to fulfill the will of God. But seek first the kingdom of God. 
Your confession will be the Lord will provide. Your confession will be this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I'll never forget, it was, a, it was a Sunday morning. I forgot to get Saturday's mail and opened up the envelopes, went into the house. It was about, oh, that would be like 14, 15 years ago. And one of them was a little annuity that I had, maybe had $30,000 in it. I didn't want to see how it was doing and opened it up and all of a sudden it said 130000 And I saw on our wedding date, someone deposited $100,000 into our account. I woke Sue up. Sue, you can't believe this. Look what happened. Somebody deposited $100,000 into our account. And of course she said, Bob, you're so cool, so cool walking with you. And yes, it is. God is so good. So I called my investor on Monday, and he kept back to me, this is not a fraud, this is a legitimate thing. You have a deposit from an account from 1914 that was dissolved, and you are the inheritor. It's in your name. And I'm thinking, I mean, life is good. I'm a king's kid. He takes care of me. Two days later, my investor called me. He says, well, Bob, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. <laughs> It was a mistake. I enjoyed three days of glory. And, uh, but see, you know, you just have to say it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. You got to say the temporal things are passing. The only thing that's really important is God. The only thing that's important is the needs of people. Their spiritual needs, their natural needs, people, people are important. The gospel is absolutely important. The will of God is absolutely imperative. Those are the things that matter. Bill Brown and Gerda Brown, heroes of Sue and I, they planted over 500 churches in Mexico. They had a beat-up old huge station wagon, drove all over Mexico in it, and their license plate said joy. Just joy. Bill gets up in the morning, how you doing, Bob? Glory to God. He's just, he's, just, he's just excited. He's never in a bad mood. Never in a bad mood. Just loves Jesus, doing the will of God. Where's my line going to be drawn in my life? Where's my focus going to be? What am I going to give my time and my energy, my priorities to? Every one of you here, Every one of you has a ministry. Every one of you has the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every one of you has a call on you. It's not my call. You're not to compare yourself with anybody else, but between you and God, what is it, Lord, you want me to do? Some things are going to be done, and no one's going to know about it that he's called you to do, but you will know, and he will know, and he'll see the sacrifice. Don't lay yourselves up in heaven, treasures. Don't lay yourself on earth where treasures, where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal. But place your treasures in heaven where nothing can be taken away. I can take my obedience, as I said last week, across the line. I can take, I can take my, my character across the line. I can take the people I influence for the kingdom of God. I can take them across the line into that heavenly realm. But... There's nothing else I take with me. 
Let's make this song our prayer.